Laura, what are we doing September 25th? Oh, we're going to Next On Scene Media's Guide to a Better Lifestyle Cocktail Party and Trade Show. Oh, and it's going to be quite a night. Mm-hmm. There's going to be all kinds of wellness events for us. We're going to have a cocktail party. We're going to have vendors with wellness issues going on. We're going to have fashion a fashion show. show. I don't know what the fashion show is going to be, but I can't wait. Maybe I'll walk in it. Oh, it'll be great. So... That's going to be on September 25th from 7 to 10. We would love to see you there at the Aloft Boston Seaport District. Mm-hmm. You can buy tickets on any of our social media websites, and 5% of each ticket sale will be going to the Cape Ann Animal Rescue. And if you use the code um, SCRUBS, S-C-R-U-B-S, at checkout, you'll get a discount on your ticket price. Hope, Hope to, see, to you see you there. It'll be a great time. Welcome to Scissors and Scrubs. This is our probably most controversial episode so far because we are going to discuss vaccines. vaccines. Um, This is going to be a hard one to keep my personal feelings out of it. I am just going straight up cbc.gov facts. Bing, bing, bing. And a family story. Vaccines. So we are at the end of the summer series. We're getting ready for back to school, mm-hmm. which is why we chose now is probably the perfect time for the vaccine vaccines. episode. Mm-hmm. Because now is the time you're all getting your little letters saying, have your kids been vaccinated? Right. Send in all your vaccines. Right. Yep. Um, so we're just going to tell about a couple of epidemics that have struck the world. And why we get vaccinated. And why they have vaccine- vaccinations to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, they're no joke. I think people are so complacent today because these diseases are eradicated or you right. don't see how detrimental they are. Right. You don't see the problem. Right. Right. And so they think, oh, well, my kid's not going to get that. I don't need, I to don't need the vaccines. Yeah. yeah. So we'll get more into that part of it later. Um, Sparkles, it's your, it's your show. My time to shine. Your time to shine, yeah. baby. Um, so I did polio. Polio, polio, polio. Yeah. So... I did polio because I have an aunt that had polio in the 50s. So I thought I could get a little personal with it. I've seen somebody affected by it. It was quite a sweep of the nation. I know what polio is. And I obviously, I have an aunt that had polio. Mm -hmm. But I have, like, some of this stuff, I was like, what? Like, it was. It was crazy. It's ridiculous. So I think of polio. I'm sorry to interrupt because apparently I do that all the time. All the time. Um, I think of polio, I just think of the wards of iron lungs. Yes. Which was before ventilators, you were in a machine mm-hmm. that breathed for you and you Pretty couldn't much. get out of it. Like for months? Yeah. Well, or ever. Yeah. Okay, go. I do Polio is all yours, my love. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you what polio is, um, the symptoms of polio, some treatments that they used to have, the vaccine, you know, mm-hmm. we'll get all into it. So I got this all from cdc.gov. Um, polio, uh, poliomyelitis, is a potentially deadly infectious disease. Um, it's caused by the polio virus, which spreads from infected person to person. It's mm. very contagious. Mm. Um, the virus lives in the infected person's throat and intestines. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't either. Like, can you poop it out? Yeah, so that's how people got it. Oh! <laughs> yeah, so... I didn't know that. I know, really didn't know that. If something was contaminated with feces, which... I mean, it happens. Mm-hmm. That's how we get a lot of viruses. Wipe the wrong way you got it. Yeah. It's on your hand. You touch something. Somebody else touches it. Now you get polio. Oh, my God. Um, so it enters the body through the mouth. 
you know, you touch something, then you touched your mouth, mm-hmm. and now it's in your mouth, and now you... Which kids do all the time. Which kids do all the time. That's why it was a huge childhood disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the body through the mouth, it spreads through contact with feces, or in um, a much less common... It can also spread through droplets from a cough or a sneeze, because okay. it does live in your throat as well. But it's much harder to get that way. An infected person can spread the virus immediately before and up to two weeks after symptoms appear. So you don't you're know you're sick. for a while. You don't wipe well. When you touch something and somebody else touches it, you can spread it even if you don't have any symptoms. Um, it can live in the infected person's feces for many weeks. It can contaminate food and water um, in unsanitary conditions, obviously. It's a nasty little bug. Yeah. It lives for a little while. Um, even if it... Like I said, even if a person does not have the symptoms, they can still spread the disease. Um, symptoms. Some people, um, most people infected with it with polio, about 72 out of 100, will not have any visible symptoms. Okay. So you can... So you're a carrier, but not... Yeah, you can get this virus, but you're not sick with it. Okay. Um, about one out of four people with polio virus will have flu-like symptoms, like sore throat, fever, tiredness, nausea, headache, stomach pain... It lasts for about two to five days and goes away all on their own. So you just think you have, like, the bug. Right. Um, a smaller portion of people will develop serious symptoms that affect the brain and spinal cord. Oh. Um, paresthesia, which is the feeling of pins and needles in your legs. Meningitis, which is an infection of the spinal cord and or the brain. It occur- That occurs in about one out of 25 people. Paralysis, can't move parts of the body, or weakness in the arms, legs, or both. That occurs in about one out of 200 people. Paralysis is the most severe symptom because it may lead to permanent disability or death. Um, Between 2 and 10 out of 100 people who develop paralysis with polio die because the virus affects the muscles that help them breathe. The diaphragm. Yep. So it paralyzes your diaphragm. You can't breathe. That's how you die. Um, There's also a thing called post-polio syndrome. It occurs... um, these children would seem like they were fully recovered, but then they can develop new muscle pain, weakness, or paralysis 15 to 40 years later. Years? Yes. Years. That would suck. I never heard of that. God, that would no. suck. Yeah. You think you're fine. Yeah. You're completely 40 years healed, later. 40 boom. years later. Yeah. You get some paralysis. Um, so polio, like we don't see it anymore. But back in the day... There were all these epidemics. Mm-hmm. So the polio epidemics have been recorded in the U.S. back to 1841. And from 1916 onward, a polio epidemic occurred every summer Ooh. in at least one part of the country. So every single summer from 1916 on, there was an epidemic of polio. It's not even like someone. It's an epidemic. I'm going to tell you. I don't think I ever. If I had to go back in time. Sure as hell wouldn't be fucking 1900 till like 1950. Yeah, a lot of they epidemics. died from everything. Yeah. Nope, I'm all set. Yeah, nope, 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 nope. Um, the most serious of those epidemics occurred in the 40s and 1940s and 1950s. Um, they would, you know, it's back in the day, so they would quarantine people. They would put stickers on their doors saying, um, you know, Laura D has polio. Don't come into her house. Don't touch anything. She, t- you know, like I guess call hip- you out. HIPAA wasn't a big thing. Back no, then. <laughs> they would put it right on your door. This person has polio. Don't come near them. Don't touch anything they touch. Um, they canceled public meetings. They closed movie theaters. They um, 
you know, warned kids, don't go near water fountains, don't drink out of water fountains, don't go to the beach, don't go to a public pool because this is all places where you can pick up. Oh, you could get it anywhere. Polio. Right, but I think it's just more, you know, don't put your mouth near the water fountain oh, where someone else drinks. People are that? in the pool with their, uh, you know, with their dirty butts. Yeah. Um, originally, most cases occurred in children six months to four years old. Oh, and they okay. usually had mild symptoms. And then they developed a lifelong immunity. Oh, okay. So originally, that's how it would come out. Then as time passed, sanitation improvements and better hygiene meant most small children had fewer chances of getting it. Okay. Because they wouldn't pick it up because everything was cleaner. They were given clean water. They were, Right. So they couldn't pick it up as easily. So then it was seen more in older children and young adults. Okay. So that means kids growing up didn't have that immunity that they were getting when they were babies getting this disease as like a flu. Yeah. Um, it's more severe now as they're getting older. And they were more likely to get the paralytic form Oh, when they got it as older children. Um, so if they just stayed dirty, they'd have been fine? Right. If they didn't clean up, probably wash your hands okay. after you poop. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in 1952, that was the worst epidemic in, the U- in U.S. history. Of 57,628 cases of polio, 3,145 people died, and 21,269 people were left with some form of paralysis in, like, a summer. That's a lot of people. Um, But that epidemic is credited with, like, heightening fears in parents and, Mm -hmm. you know, people all around the country, so it really pushed them for a vaccine. Okay. So that epidemic yep. really pushed it. Like, something's got to be done. This is mm-hmm. really awful. So there was all these treatments that would happen I all these summers. I can't wait yeah. to hear some of these there treatments. Was like all, there was, like, this vitamin C treatment where they would flood the back of your throat with vitamin C. I don't, it was a lot. I <laughs> I was like, what? Your I think face it was alone like a says it. throat lavage of vitamin C. I, it didn't. It didn't really help though. So. I never liked the word lavage either. I'm not no. gonna throat lavage. That no. just sounds awful. It does sound awful. I'm gonna give you a throat lavage. It's <laughs> <laughs> bad enough with the goggle. Yeah. Um, never mind with polio in your throat. <laughs> um, so Maybe. one of the treatments was an iron lock. That was probably like the biggest, the biggest treatment that everybody knows about polio. The iron lung. It was invented by Philip. Iron lung. No. <laughs> Drink? 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 Philip Drink. I think so. Drink. Don't don't (laughs) quote me on that. Um, Louis Agassiz Shaw? Yeah. And Agassiz? Maybe? I think it's Agassiz. I like that. Another guy named James. Um, (laughs) At Harvard. Just James. 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 They worked at Harvard. They They developed this iron line. line. I saw a movie when I was a kid with a person in an iron lung. Oh, my God. Scarred me. Like, the I pictures thought, of them lined up. We just lay there. Those. Like, all you could do was lay there and look at a mirror. Yeah. Like, we'll, we'll definitely post pictures of the like. The I would rather be lines. dead than I, be in a I goddamn mean, iron lung. I can't imagine. So the iron lungs were used for patients with bulbar polio, which bulbar polio is when the polio virus affects your brainstem, which controls the, your swallowing reflexes. Mm-hmm. So you can't swallow any of your secretions, so they collect in your throat, and then they can lead to suffocation. Okay, how about just suction? Can we just come up with a suction? So I guess, I don't know if it went further, like, further down, like, into your chest. I don't, that's what they use them for. The iron lung seems a little bit excessive. It does seem excessive. (laughs) I'm just 
<laughs> so, an iron lung, a patient laid in a metal tube with just their head sticking out. It's literally just their head yeah. sticking out. Um, the original one was powered by an electric motor, and it was attached to two vacuum cleaners. <laughs> I mean, we're talking like a long time ago. Hobbit came up with two fucking vacuum cleaners <laughs> in an iron lung. And the hoovering. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe, get in. I'm going to put these two vacuum cleaners on the end. Suck it, see right the suctions there. come up. <laughs> so it worked by changing Sorry. the pressure inside the machine. Okay. They were smart. I, I would never have thought to stick somebody in a tube with two vacuum cleaners no. to get rid of their secretions. No. So when the pressure is lowered, you know, they suck all the air out with the vacuum cleaners, yeah. your chest cavity expands. And when the pressure is raised, they blow air back in. Um, the chest cavity contracts. Okay. So it mimics your breathing. So it helps. It's it like just, a ventilator. It's a ventilator Except before your, there was yeah. these positive pressure ventilators. Um, so it mimics your breathing so you can breathe. So your lungs keep going. Um, then John Emerson modified the iron lung by using bellows that were directly attached to the machine, I guess, instead of the vacuum cleaners. Um, and that iron lung was produced until 1970. Oh they were still making them right, up I, until I 1970. Side story. So, my mother and my parents had these tickets to the North Shore Music Theater, and she's like, "Come see this play with me." I don't even know what the hell the fucking play was about. She's like, "Come see this play with me." I'm like, "Fine," and we're like three rows back from the stage, oh, okay? God. And they're trying really hard with the props. And they bring a guy out in an iron, <laughs> an iron lung, okay? He's got the bellows underneath. But he must have been in the iron lung working the bellows. Oh, God. <laughs> so they're going up like all rickety and shit. And I look at the, <laughs> this prop and I immediately burst out laughing. I can't stop laughing. <laughs> and then my mother's laughing because I'm laughing. And she's like, what? I'm like, look at the iron lung. Look at the iron lung. And it's like, wee, wee. <laughs> I could not stop laughing. Yeah. And this is supposed to be like the most serious part. Well, you he's never, in an iron lung. I mean, you never want to take me to a play because a cat's, the the ending of it, when he goes off in the top, like that big rubber tie, it was the worst play I've ever seen in my life. I'm hysterical laughing because it was so ridiculous. I am not the person to have to be serious with. Let's just say that. It doesn't sound like it. No. Okay. I'm sorry. So no. back to the iron lung bellows vacuum cleaners. Yeah. So they... 1970. Updated. And they made them until 1970. Um, oh there was God. also the Bragg Paul Pulsator, which was the first intermittent abdominal pressure ventilator. It was literally like a... A vibrator? No. It was like a, like a, not a tourniquet, like a tourniquet on your chest and your abdomen, and it was hooked up to a pulsator, a pressure machine, and it would squeeze you in and let it out and squeeze you in and let it out. So it was, move. you know, it was. Oh, you were more mobile than standing in a tube. Well, you were still laying down, but you had this big cuff on your chest. All right. And it was pushing in, pushing out, like another, yeah. like mimicking your breathing. Um. And then there was also a rocking bed for less critical breathing difficulties. Who's gonna so just buy moved you back you and forth. Rocking bed. Mm-hmm. And that sounds soothing. I mean, I that doesn't sound awful. So I the iron lung. Now. What? I could use one of those now. I know. Um, the iron lung saved thousands of lives, but there were tons of problems with it. It was huge, mm-hmm. cumbersome, cumbersome. Like you couldn't, you can't, you know, you can't go to you your go cousin's house in your iron lung. Um, <laughs> I'm coming for Christmas. Do we have an extra table for me? Can you move some chairs aside? <laughs> the lung's coming. Yeah. Um, and it was expensive. 
In the 1930s, it cost $1,500, which sounds ridiculous now Mm because, like, an EpiPen costs that much. Um, But in the 1930s, that was the same price as a house. Wow. Yeah. So they were... But you could technically live up and move your family into the Iron Lung. I mean... It's pretty big. It was roomy. You know, stay at my feet. You can sleep by my side. Yeah. One of you can sit right by my head. My favorite. You can get under the mirror. Yeah. Um, The cost of running the machine was also, like, extremely prohibitive with the use, especially since people were in them for months, years, or the rest of their lives. I would rather be dead. I can't imagine. Like, when you see a picture of these things. I cannot imagine. You have no life. You know when you get an MRI? Yes. And you have to lay in that tube for, like, 40 minutes? Mm. I want... To cry. Now you're in a tube for the rest of your life. Forever. Months. Mm-hmm. Months. Just lay here in this tube. No. I can't do it. Nope, 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 nope. Um, but even with the iron lung, that saved thousands of people. The death rate for people with bulbar polio exceeded 90%. Oh. Even with the iron lung. Um, these drawbacks, though, they led to the development of modern positive pressure ventilators and um, positive pressure ventilation by tracheostomy. Yes, so now, like, if you see somebody in a wheelchair sometimes, like a quadriplegic, they have the little trachin, and there's a ventilator on the wheelchair. Right. And you so can they're much more mobile. Take it with you. Yeah. yeah. You really can go to Christmas dinner on that. Yes, and positive pressure ventilators decrease mortality in bulbar patients from 90% to 20%. Oh, that's huge. That's huge. Huge. I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, in the Copenhagen epidemic of 1952... Large numbers of patients were handbagged by anyone there. Like, they'd have med students do it, but then they even had, like, you know, if you were visiting your cousin, you were handbagging them. for, like, years? I think until they got a little better. Because there were so many patients. Oh. And they had so little vents because these were just coming out, these positive pressure vents. So, that like, apparently they just had anybody hand-venting these people. Um, So, back in the day, um, there were surgical treatments Mm -hmm. that were just... Thought to be wonderful. There was nerve grafting, tendon lengthening, tendon tendon transfers, limb lengthening, and shortening. Um, How would you shorten it? I think to match up with your other leg. Like if one of your legs So the fuck with the good leg. I think so. That just makes no sense at all. Um, It's just silly talk. Yeah. Um, These treatments were used extensively, and they found out these treatments weren't really any good. Um, also patients with residual paralysis were treated with braces they were taught to compensate with crutches wheelchairs, calipers massage was used none of these things ended up being really very much good right? because they would put these people in these braces that were like so hard and um, you see pictures of them rigid yeah. that they couldn't use it so then everything in that leg that wasn't dead now died because they couldn't use the leg yeah, you see pictures of those old braces, you know, and they'd have to, like, hit yep. them to straighten them yep. out and stuff. Um, there were serums oh. that were made in 1950. Snake water? Hmm? Snake water? I don't know. Maybe. In 1950, William Hammond um, made, he isolated a serum from the blood of polio survivors. Okay. So he took blood from polio survivors, mm-hmm. isolated the serum. Between 1951 and 1952, 55,000 kids were in a clinical trial of this serum. Results were good. Um, it prevented paralytic polio in 80% of the time of the mm-hmm. patients that they um, tried it on, and it lessened the symptoms when they did get polio. 
So they got like those flu-like so did symptoms. Something. Did something. However, it had to be re-injected during each outbreak. Um, the immunity only lasted five weeks, and it was super expensive. And they couldn't really narrow down like when they should give it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this started people working on a vaccine. They're like, okay, this is working. Something's right. helping. Let's we've we got something get to going this. here. Yeah. In 1935, Maurice Brody attempted a vaccine. He got this from the virus in ground-up monkey spinal cords. You know, no. rabies is ground up like rabbit spinal cords mm-hmm. or something. Yep. Um, that so he vaccine. killed whatever that. was in these spinal cords in formaldehyde and then just ground it up. And Here you go. Have a little bit of this. Put injected it, in it into people. Mm-hmm. Yep. So first he gave it to himself, which was good. I mean, it's always good to test on yourself first. And his assistants. Then 3,000 children. There were many allergic reactions. Oh, I wouldn't imagine so. Yeah. But no immunity ever came no. from that vaccine. Monkey spinal cords. Monkey that's awesome. Yep. Um, they started liking bananas a lot. Yeah. Started cleaning each other, taking lice <laughs> off. Oh, I can't stand them. <laughs> um, in the late 40s and early 50s, a research group headed by John Enders at Boston Children's Hospital. Oh, Boston. We mm-hmm. just kick ass. We really do. Um, <laughs> Sorry, guys. They successfully good. cultivated the polio virus in human tissue. So this was a huge breakthrough that will lead to the vaccines that eventually came about. They, him and his team won the Nobel Prize in 1954 for this research. And what was his name? John Enders. But he doesn't get a lot of credit for it. I mean, I've never heard his name. Right. He okay. won, I mean, he won the Nobel heard Prize. I have right. Okay. He didn't get make the vaccine, okay. but he figured out how to cultivate the poliovirus mm-hmm. in human tissue. So then there's this Kenny Regimen. It's like the start of physical therapy Okay, is what happened during the polio. So early on when polio would come out and everyone was sick and paralyzed and couldn't move their leg, it was a school of thought to rest the affected muscles and the suggestion was to apply splints to the affected limbs. Which is exactly what you should do. Right. Um, they thought it would prevent tightening of muscles, tendon, ligaments, or skin that would prevent normal movement. However, these people would be in plastic casts for months, which then caused atrophy of the muscles in both affected and non-affected limbs. So is this why they have, like, shriveled up limbs? Yes. Okay. Well, so it's not the disease, really. It was the treatment. No, the, that was... the polio did kill affect what it looked like. the muscles. Okay. But then some of these people would also then have casts on that, and then they couldn't get out of bed because they'd be in, like, these body casts. Okay. So then their other leg would also be atrophied, even though that leg was fine. Right. Or whatever tissue was left in that, their bad leg... Didn't get worked. Didn't get worked, so then that would atrophy. So it was just worse. Okay, so that's why they got deformed on top of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, in 1940, Sister Elizabeth Kenny is an Australian bush nurse. She comes over to North America, and she's like, no, you guys are wrong. I'm not. We're not doing that. <laughs> the first person to say that to us. Yeah. She flew all the way over here to tell us we were wrong. You guys are wrong. Stupid. Um, <laughs> she had developed a form of physical therapy while treating polio cases in rural Australia between 1928 and 1940. Instead of immobilizing patients, she relieved pain and spasms by applying hot, moist packs mm-hmm. to the affected areas. And she um, had them do early activity and exercise to maximize the strength of unaffected muscle fibers and pr- promote neuroplastic recruitment of remaining nerve cells. 
very smart of her for that time, to be honest with you. Very. Like, and know that, when like, everybody else is like, no, no, lay down yeah. and don't move for six months. And don't touch it. Um, she's like, no, no, move it. Get those muscles yeah. working. Even the affected muscles, they're going to get stronger if you right. work them. Um, she ended up settling in Minnesota. She established the Sister Kenny Rehabilitation Institute and began to educate people worldwide, like, you need to move these muscles mm-hmm. or they're going to be worse. Um, by the mid-20th century, this was the hallmark for treating polio. And it is still with, like, anti-spasmatic drugs mm-hmm. is still the treatment for people with polio around the world. So, Sister Kenny is pretty oh, smart. I just don't know. Why would she settle in Minnesota? I d- I'm like, she came from Australia and settled and in Minnesota? Minnesota? Like, there's nothing against Minnesota. It's like the opposite end of the world, though. It just it seems like a frozen, barren wasteland. And she me. came from a from warm Australia. climate. I I, don't I found that odd, too. I'm glad you said All right. Maybe we'll have to go to Minnesota and see what it's all about. Maybe. See why she went up there. So. I just don't see anything else. I don't get it. Okay. Um, so, we now have a polio vaccine, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the only prevention you have to have is this. four to five this, doses before you go to school. <laughs> I know. Only prevention for polio is the polio vaccine. There are two types of vaccine. The oral polio virus vaccine mm-hmm. um, was introduced I think in 1963 um, they have stopped using it in the US um, I think the last time they used it was 2000 it's still used in much of the world it's um, a live vaccine that you take orally it's the drink the kids yes get. but it's okay. a live virus yep um, the IPV which is the inactivated polio vaccine was the one that was Developed by Jonas Salk. Jonas Salk. Mm-hmm. Which we all, you know, everybody's That's heard of his associate with polio. That's right. his thing. So he developed the IPV. The IPV, um, like, the IPV, like, giving it out, testing it out, dosing it out, was the largest medical experiment in history. Wow. Yeah. I had. Wow. Right. Isn't that crazy? Like, yeah. they tested it on so many. It was the largest experiment in history. Um, 99 out of 100 children that receive all recommended doses of the IPV vaccine will be protected from polio completely. I've never had it. Yep. <laughs> had so, my vaccine, I've never had polio. Right. So why do we get a vaccine? Uh, it was obviously one of the most feared diseases in the U.S. In the 1950s, the, those polio outbreaks that I said were like the worst in history caused more than 15,000 cases of paralysis every year in the That's U.S. That's a lot. It's Ridiculous. And imagine thinking you have a beautiful, healthy child. God forbid they get polio. Now they're going to be in a lung or they're going to, you know. Yeah. Um, following the introduction of IPV in 1955 and OPV in 1963, the number of polio cases dropped to less than 100 in the 1960s from like 50,000. Yeah. And then to less than 10 in the 1970s. I think, have you, do you know anybody besides your aunt? <laughs> no. I don't and that know, was in the 1950s. Right. I don't know a single person who's no. ever had polio. No. Polio has been eliminated in the U.S., completely eliminated in the U.S. due to the vaccine. Yeah. I bet your thoughts coming back. Uh, so since 1979, no cases of polio have originated in the United States. None. And in 19, the epidemic in 1979 was in, um, oh, my God. Africa. No, it was in the U.S. Asia. No, it was in the U.S. It was Ohio. the last one in the U.S. Minnesota. The Amish. All of the Amish. It was in the Amish communities. Those renegades. But they don't, you know, the renegades. follow all of our, you know, follow all of the normal mm-hmm. rules. Um, 
So that's the last time that it had it originated was in Amish mm-hmm. country. Um, it has been brought. It has been brought into the U.S. though by travelers. The last time that happened was 1993. Um, and you know, obviously, you ha- we have to maintain a high immunity mm-hmm. in the population, or it's going to come through back. the vaccine to keep it to keep the U.S. Poli- polo- polio free. Mm-hmm. We are completely polio free. Yeah. Let's keep it that we way. We were completely measles free too. I know. Let's. No one wants polio. No. No one wants this for their kids. You don't want any of these diseases. No. There is a reason there were vaccines for all of them because right. they were deadly diseases. And, and even if you didn't die, you had terrible side effects. Side effects. Yeah. You want to live in an iron lung for the rest of your oh, life? God, yeah, no. no. I'm all set. So my aunt, um, she's my father's, my father's one of five, and this is the oldest sister. So I said to her, you know, we're doing a one of the podcasts on vaccines, and I was going to do polio. And I, if you, if you would, if you would just tell me, because I don't think I've ever heard her story. You know, I knew she had it because she has a very one of her legs is very, very skinny, like Mm -hmm. skin and bones. So we always knew when when we were little, they were like, oh, she had polio. You know, like that's why her leg looks like that. Okay, you know, but I never heard like what What happened happened or you know anything. So I said, if you want to, great. And and she's like, right away, of. Absolutely, give me a few days though, because it's going to take a little while. I said, okay. So this is her letter. I'm just going to read it because there's a it's, lot of stuff. I love stuff it in coming it. from their words, anyway. Yeah. So it says August 1955. Family: Mom, Dad, my aunt who was six and a half, my father who was four and a half, and she's not sure if her mom knew, but she was approximately three to four pregnant with my other aunt, three mm-hmm. to four weeks pregnant with my other aunt. And she said, according to my grandmother, her mother. By mid-August, uh, my aunt had developed a fever that came and went. She said, I think they were thinking some little summer bug. Labor Day weekend, I was getting ready to start first grade. She was very excited. However, on the first day of school, either September 6th or 7th, my life was turned upside down. I woke and started down the hall to my parents' bedroom and fell before I reached their door. I could not stand up. Our family doctor was called and arrived at our house. Yes, they did house calls and confirmed polio. According to my parents, Dr. Freeman said because of the epidemic, there was no room at Boston Children's Hospital. Wow. And he suggested that they confine me to my room and use the Sister Kenny method of treatment. Thank God. The treatment consisted of placing wet hot towels on my legs several times a day and then exercising my legs, bending, lifting, etc. to keep the muscles moving. According to info sources, um, Sister Elizabeth Kenny was an Australian bush nurse Mm -hmm. who had developed this controversial new approach to treating polio. Up until this point, conventional treatment was to use plastic casts on affected limbs. Sister Kenny's type of rehab became the foundation of physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Like I said, my aunt and I was also so compatible. Yeah. Um, I found out years later that Dr. Freeman had had polio as a child. She says, I wondered why he had walked with a limp. And now and, you know why he went into it specifically. Right. And he was treated with this method, with mm-hmm. this Sister Kenny method. In hindsight, it was a blessing that Dr. Freeman was our family doctor and the hospital was overcrowded because my legs would have been casted and I would have been isolated in a very overcrowded ward with many other children. For at least the next month, the fever returned very high as the virus ran its course. I don't remember much during that period, just the stories that I was lethargic and definitely out of it. Once the fever finally left, I was able to sit up in bed but still could not walk. My mother and grandmother continued the hot towels and exercising my legs. Recovery was slow, not much energy. I remember listening to a children's story on the radio and watching the World Series on a very small black and white TV. For a six-year-old, very boring. <laughs> at some point, probably November or December, I had an appointment at Children's Hospital Polio Clinic in Boston. Now they have a concussion clinic. We right. don't need a polio right. clinic anymore because we don't have that. 
um, wish I received my first pair of wooden crutches. I was definitely one of the lucky ones. There were kids of all ages crowded into a waiting room to see doctors, physical therapists, etc. Some were in wheelchairs, some with casts, and some with braces. It was so overwhelming. When I had an appointment, we would get there around 8.30 a.m. and not leave until around noon. A lot of the time was just sitting waiting to see the next white coat. I had a yearly appointment at Children's for the next 12 years until I turned 18. Wow. Yeah. Well, it does come back. Yeah. By December of 1955, I was walking pretty well with the use of crutches. So after the new year, I was finally able to attend school. The city, um, they lived in Somerville, mm-hmm. had supplied a tutor for about six weeks. Once in school, the strength in my legs seemed to get better. My right leg was less affected and always stronger than the left, but not 100%. I was definitely aware of what I could and couldn't do. During one of my appointments when I was around 13, doctors discovered that my left leg was shorter than my right. My heel cord and tendon on the bottom of my foot had stopped growing. Ugh. <laughs> For the next six weeks, I had weekly visits to children's where they placed my left leg in a cast with a wedge in the back by the heel to try to stretch it. Each week, they would replace the cast with a new one and a larger wedge. It was very painful. I was going to say, that must have hurt like yeah. a mofo. Especially over six weeks, so yeah. that's got to be a big adjustment every hurt. time. Yeah. Results were that they were able to stretch both a bit. Still left leg approximately half an inch shorter than the right. Um, and then she writes, side, her side effects of polio um, that she had. Legs that ache almost on, almost constantly. Um, Tylenol and Advil do not help. Even today? I guess so. Oh, that's terrible. Um, shorter left leg that definitely impacts my skeletal posture. Fractured, she's fractured her left ankle two times. She's broken her left leg once. She's had a right knee replacement due to arthritis and overuse mm-hmm. because of the mm-hmm. weaker left leg. Yep. Um, she's had multiple back fusions. Um, as she, quote unquote, matures, um, strength in both <laughs> her legs is weakening. The left get, leg gets a little thinner and weaker each year. Oh. The bone density is less dense than the right, and the leg bone is much thinner. I mean, you can definitely see it. See it. Um, each day I'm reminded of what I can and cannot physically do, but I keep pushing the limit. I often wonder how different my life would have been if po- the polio vaccine had been perfected just a little sooner. And she wrote, um, sorry, once I got started, memories and emotions took control. It's so funny because that's what my cousin said about the firework episode yeah. about his thumb. Like, I couldn't believe, like, what it did to me when I wrote it all down. But I thought she did a very good job of writing yeah, it all did. down. she did. And it just... To think she's still dealing with it today. It's still in fact she's had later. multiple back surgeries because everything's off. Has she lived a good life though? Like, has oh, she, yeah, I mean, yeah. no, she's active and yeah. she, yeah, she does everything. Oh, she terrible. works. She does all that. But it's oh, just yeah, pain. All your life wishing some... the vaccine had been around. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, mm-hmm. a little earlier, just a little earlier just that it was perfected. Yep. Ira, God bless his soul. Mm-hmm. Wow. So thank you for writing that. That's quite a story. Yeah. yeah. So, what do you got? Oh. What do I have? <laughs> Something we never want. <laughs> Tell me what you know about the Spanish flu. It kills 8,000 million people. Did you ever hear of it before uh, I started talking about it? I have heard of it. Okay. Mike, have you heard about the Spanish flu? Spanish fly? Yeah, close. <laughs> I started researching this and was A, stunned at how intense it was and even more shocked that nobody knows about it. It was like, what do you know about the Black Plague? It killed 800. Right. You know, you hear about the Black Plague in history books. The Spanish flu killed as many people as the Black Plague, and nobody talks about it. It's unbelievable. Okay, so I got my information from Wikipedia, my new favorite 
website, smithsonian.com. Ooh, that's a good one. And um, I, I'm not going to lie, I got so excited about this episode because <laughs> when I started reading into it, there was A, a ton of information yeah. on it, and B, I couldn't believe how extreme it was mm-hmm. when it happened. And this is the flu. This is the flu that we still have today. Yeah. It was intense. So the American Experience, which is a series on PBS, had a whole episode mm-hmm. just for the Spanish flu of 1918. Mm-hmm. And so I was sitting and watching with one of our coworkers. And it had the creepiest, like, nursery rhyme at the beginning of it. There's these little girls, and they jump rope, and it's like, I had a little bird whose name was Enza. Open the door, and influenza. Like, this is what kids were singing. Oh, creepy-ass kids. Because everyone's dying. Yeah, because everybody's dying. Okay. So the Spanish flu of 1918 started in January of 1918. It ended in December of 1920. Jesus. But it really... It came in like three phases. In total, it's believed to have killed 50 to 100 million people. 50, 50 I was kidding when I said 800,000 million. million people. 50 to 100 million okay? people. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the first 25 weeks, it killed more than AIDS has killed in 25 years. Okay? Oh my God. To this day, it is responsible for more American deaths this century than all of the wars combined. Okay. Are you kidding? I am dead serious. This was no joke. In total, in the United States alone, it killed 675,000 people, which is more than we have lost in all of the wars combined in this century. World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, more. Oh, um, my God. The only pandemic worse than the Spanish flu was the Black Plague. And the only reason they can't decide which was worse is because the numbers of the Middle Ages, right. the population was smaller. It was bad. Yeah. So the origins of the flu were debated. Some believe it started at um, a hospital camp in Etaples, France. I don't know. It's somewhere in France, all right? It's French. The camp had a live piggery on it. And it oh, had poultry. That's what that's called? Yeah, like where you keep pigs. Piggery. 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 That's where my mother lived, like, up the hill from a piggery. Ew. She talks about it all the time. Like, oh, that must have smelled fucking great uh. in the summer. Um, so they lived, they had a live piggery on camp, and they had poultry that was brought in from the village. Most of these flus generate with pigs or poultry. Mm-hmm. Pigs are, like, the closest things to us. Mm-hmm. So they can brew a lot of shit that can get transferred to us. Mm-hmm goddamn pigs so others think it started in china some say austria but the most common theory is that it started in haskell county kansas oh kansas. haskell county kansas i wouldn't have guessed that one you would know see i'm a wealth mm-hmm. so a physician in haskell county kansas named louis minor alerted the u.s public health service in january of 1918 about the unusual flu activity of the year mm-hmm. The Santa Fe Monitor reported that Miss Eva Van Alstein is sick with pneumonia. Ralph Linderman is still quite sick. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm going to trim the page. Um, the young son of Ernest Elliott is sick with pneumonia. Most everybody over the county is sick with la gripe or pneumonia. La gripe. You know, like that? I think la gripe is a... <laughs> I got I'm going to call it bowels. <laughs> so... A few of these Haskell County men who are sick end up going to the military base camp Funston in 
Kansas. Mm-hmm. So they go to this Camp Funston. So on March 4th, the first soldier, company cook Albert Gitchell, becomes first known case of influenza for 1918. Mm-hmm. And so starts phase one of the flu epidemic. Mm-hmm. Camp Funston is a huge training base for guys going into World War One. So we are 1918. Mm-hmm. We have just entered the fourth or fifth year of World War One. Um, it's a huge training base. They're going over. So within, let's see, within days of Albert Gitchell getting sick on March 4th, 522 men get sick. Mm. Within two weeks, 1,100 soldiers are sick and 35 die. Oh, my God. The six soldiers carried the flu with them to 24 of the 36 oh. training camps in the U.S. and then brought it overseas. Uh-huh. So it was like, initially, it wasn't a big deal. Phase one's not a big deal. It's a three-day flu. People were calling it the three-day fever. Not many people are, are dying from it. It only gets attention when it sweeps through Spain. This is how it gets its name. So the war, you know, we're all at war. Right. The Germans are getting sick, but they're not going to tell anybody their field's getting sick. And the French are getting sick, but they're not going to tell anybody. The Americans aren't getting sick. Spain's neutral. They're like, oh, guess what? We're all getting sick over here. And the king's sick. And this one's sick. Well, Spanish flu. Okay. But it's... It's not really sick. It's not really like the Spaniards were like, you want going to make you sick? Um, <laughs> it's because they're the only ones going to talk about it because they're not at war. Right. I mean, I would think in war, you don't want everybody knowing you're like, le gripe. Yeah, we're all dying. You know, attack them now. Okay. So um, that's how it gets the label of the Spanish flu. In the initial phase, this is a quote, the initial phase was so faint as to be hardly perceptible or was altogether lacking and was everywhere a mild form. The few ominous signs of phase one are that those who did die were healthy young adults. Yeah. I was going to say that when you said they were at the camp and 35 guys. I'm like, these are young. So usually when you have flu deaths, it's little kids or old people. This is striking young males. Yeah. Really. Um, In some of the flu deaths, they're misdiagnosed as meningitis because of the hemorrhages in the lung tissue. So they're like, oh, it's meningitis. This wasn't the flu. So by July, the Army, the Army Medical Bulletin reports from France that the epidemic is about to end and it has throughout been a type of benign flu. Mm-hmm. A British journal flat out says the flu has completely disappeared. Now, if this was a movie you're doing about the flu epidemic of yeah. 1918, you're going to have a guy in a podium saying flu epidemic has disappeared. And you're going to have a guy on the boat behind him going, <coughs> yeah. Ominous foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, oh, you see little dust particles, like Stranger Things, kind of floating around the air. You know? <laughs> it's going to get bad. So, in August, it resurfaces in Switzerland. And it's such a virulent form that the U.S. Naval Intelligence, in a document marked, quote, secret and confidential, oh. warns that the disease now epidemic throughout Switzerland is what is commonly known as the Black Plague. Although it is designated as Spanish sickness or la gripe. Phase two has now officially begun. Mm -hmm. So now we fast forward to the United States. Picture it. Fort Devens, Massachusetts. September 1st, 1918. The hospital at Fort Devens can hold 1,200 patients of the 45,000 soldiers that are stationed there. Mm -hmm. On September 1st, there are 84 patients at the hospital. September 7th, soldier shows up at the hospital, delirious, and he screams when he's touched. Oh. He is diagnosed with meningitis. 
The next day, a dozen more meningitis caves show up. Now doctors are like, uh, yeah, no, this is the flu. This is yeah. the shit. This is the flu. And it, when it peaks at Devon's, 1,543 soldiers have come in in one day. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So now the hospital's overwhelmed. Doctors are sick. The nurses are sick. Cafeteria workers are sick. So no one's there to even feed the camp. Right. The hospital has to shut down, leaving thousands more sick and dying just in the barracks. Like, oh, my God. It's a shit show. So Rob, nope, Roy Geist is a hospital physician, and he writes that men start appearing to be an ordinary attack of la gripe. Mm-hmm. Or influenza. And when brought to the hospital, they very rapidly developed the most vicious type of pneumonia that has ever been seen. Two hours after admission, they have mahogany spots over their cheeks. And a few hours later, cyanosis, which is your lips get blue, your fingertips get blue, you're turning blue. Yep. Extending to the face. It's only a matter of a few hours then until death comes. It's horrible. We have been averaging about 100 deaths per day. For several days, there were no coffins and bodies were piling up something fierce. Oh, my God. So this is what he's writing. Mm-hmm. Devons and the Boston area are the first to be hit by phase, by phase two, and within weeks, it's worldwide. So as September is continuing and the flu is spreading, the government is making it worse. They don't want anybody talking about this flu. Mm-hmm. They want to just, let's whitewash it, you yeah. know, morale, we're at war, we got to talk, making this great. So number one problem is the military's taking all your best doctors so anybody who knows even remotely what to do they're shipped overseas number two is they lied and then they passed the sedition act that said it made it punishable up to 20 years in prison to utter print write or publish any disloyal profane or abusive language about the government which also means spreading word that people are getting sick from this flu Mm -hmm. that became a public offense so um this gets out to the public health officials, so they're lying about it to everybody. Right. No, this isn't the flu. No, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Number three, Navy ships from Boston have now gone to Philly, and they bring the soldiers <gasps> and the flu. Oh, so day one, shipyard, boat arrives from Boston, sailors get off the ship. Day one, the shipyard erupts with flu. Mm-hmm. Public health director, Wilmer Krusnan, Krusnan, Krusen, Ruth Krusen, I like that, declares... <laughs> He would confine this disease to its present limits, and in this we are sure to be successful. No one died. No concern. Day two. <laughs> that was day one. He made <laughs> that sa- for Day fun. one. <laughs> Next day, two sailors die of the flu. Not the Spanish flu. It's the old-fashioned flu. From now on, this disease will decrease. Day three. Fourteen sailors die. Oh one God. civilian. Each day. More and more. More and more are dying. And each day, the public is not told, this is bad. By September 26th, the Spanish flu has hit the whole country, and the army had to cancel the, na- the nationwide draft. No, they're not drafting anybody now, no matter how bad it is, because this flu is so goddamn bad. Philly has scheduled a huge parade for September 28th, the Liberty Loan Parade. Oh. And, sorry, that's my page turning. There, thousands are going to pack the streets, close contact. Mm. Doctors are begging this cruising to cancel it because they know if you get these people all together, Everyone's the flu is going to go crazy. Yeah. They, um, they, conser- they talk to concerned reporters. They tell them, write about it, write about the dangers, but the editors refuse to print the articles. They won't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, two days after the parade, Cruson concedes that the epidemic was bad, but not that bad. Don't panic. Okay. 
the newspapers print that scientific nursing has halted the epidemic. Oh. I don't know what scientific nursing is. And it's all bullshit. Yeah. Nurses had no impact because there were no nurses. Out of 3,100 requests for nurses, only 193 people could show up. Because they're just as sick as the rest of the population. Okay? Finally, Cruson orders all schools closed, banned all public gatherings throughout, um, and the paper says, it's not a public health measure, don't panic. In Philadelphia, 759 people would die in one day. Oh my God. It's so bad, it's like a scene out of Monty Python. They would tell the people, put your bodies on the porch at night. We'll We'll come around and pick them up. Bring out your dead. Like, that bad. Um, the priests would drive horse-drawn carriages down the street for people. They would bring out their dead, and they would be in mass graves. By the end of Philly, uh, by the end, Philly lost 1,200 people in six weeks. Oh, my God. Tw- no, I'm sorry. 12,000. 12,000 people in six weeks. So over a four-day period in October. Now, October, when you watch the series and everything, they're like, you had September, and then you had October. October was the worst month, the month that most Americans have ever died, oh like God. the worst month for America. Yeah. So over a four-day period in October, Camp Pike admits 8,000 soldiers who were sick. San Antonio, 53% of the population got sick. Now, I mean, people know that the government's lying. Uh, the towns and cities, they know they're lying because the towns and cities are running out of coffins. That's <laughs> So when you watch... Um, that PBS series, Mm -hmm. they are interviewing people who had it and survived, people who lost family members. And this one guy is like, so, I mean, they're old now because it's over a hundred years old when this Mm -hmm. happened. So this must've been filmed a couple, you know, a while ago. So he's like, I was 10, eight, 10 years old. He said, we go down the street and we're in front of the funeral parlor. He said, and there's all these boxes stacked in front of the funeral, the funeral parlor. Mm -hmm. He's like me and my four friends, jumping on the boxes, <gasps> pretending the pyramids were all over these boxes. He goes, I go home and I tell my mom, guess what we were doing? Mm. And she's like, never go down there again. Those were coffins. Mm. Those were bodies. The three kids he was jumping with all died from the flu. Oh, my God. From jumping on those right, boxes. Right, from getting Yeah. And he's like, I don't know how I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. He's like, but I was knocking on doors. Hey, you know, Mrs. Smith, where's Jimmy? And she'd be like, go ask your mother. He's not around anymore. Oh, my God. Hey, Mrs. Smith, where's Rob? Go ask your mother. And he's like, I went back to school. Half my class had died from the Spanish flu. Oh, God. Um, you know, and you have a story of another kid who his mother sent him to go live with the aunt because she was afraid he was going to mm-hmm. get the Spanish flu. She died from the Spanish flu. He got it. He survived it. She died from it. And he's like, my life is just never the same. Once you lose your mother, right. never the same. So um, it is written that, so the papers, the government's like screwed because there's nobody to take care of these sick people. There's mm-hmm. so many sick people. All who are free from the care of the sick at home report for emergency work. No one comes. Michigan, whole families are sick and no one will come to help. Kentucky, Connecticut, same reports. People won't go out. They don't even want to breathe. Shops close. Schools close. Streets are empty. The Red Cross wrote, A fear and panic of the flu akin to the terror of the Middle Ages regarding the Black Plague has been prevalent in many parts of the country. So... Doctors are writing that they're out and there's nobody on the streets. Right. And anybody you do see is wearing a mask. And they said the flu is um, wearing a mask trying to protect yourself from the flu 
-hmm. was like wearing chicken wire to protect yourself from dust. It didn't do shit. Because they don't really even know at this point what is causing it. Mm -hmm. They think it's a bacterial infection. So now we have October. October sees 195,000 Americans die, making it the deadliest month in American history. That's unbelievable. The healthcare workers can't tend to the sick. And when you come to, this is like unbelievable too. So when you would go to the hospital, mm-hmm. bring my mom in, she's got the flu. They would half wrap her in like body wrappings, toe tag her, because they knew by that afternoon she was dead. Oh my God. So you were half prepared for death yeah. when you showed up. I was like, wow, that's something. I want to do that sometimes, though. You'd be like, if I can do it, let's go. Come on. Let's put just, you, just put you, now. Put you in the shroud right now. No. Okay. What's your um, name? I'm just putting yeah, this under your feet. Just hold on a second. <laughs> um, there's no grave diggers to even bury the dead, so there's mass graves used. They're just using these huge diggers, dumping them all in, because they, they don't have enough coffins. They don't have a right. grave diggers. And they're going to do something with the bodies. Right. Yeah. People are coming up with contraptions, so they're wearing mothballs around their necks. They're wearing garlic <laughs> around their necks. And they're wearing... It's like I vampires. Mean, this, this kid that's talking about his friends on the coffins... He's sitting there, um, and there's a picture of all of them together, and they're all wearing camphor around their neck, which is like mothballs. Mm-hmm. Um, so people are blaming the German-based Bayer company for oh. poisoning everyone. They oh. think the Germans are poisoning people well, with Bayer aspirin. Worldwide, so mm-hmm. everything's. Um, Western, so now it's worldwide. You have Western Samoa. 90% of the population is affected. Mm. Most of them die. It was wiping out whole, like, whole civilizations. They're having a problem with it because they have a tradition that if you're, they're tribal, and if mm. you're dying, you orally give the tradition of the tribe. So as you're dying with the flu, you're in his face trying mm. to get the tradition, so you're going to get sick too. Victor Vaughn, head of the Army's Communicable Disease Division, writes, if the, and he's like not one to pan, he's a very stoic guy. Mm. If the epidemic continues its mathematical rate of acceleration, civilization could easily disappear from the face of the earth in a few weeks. That's how fast it's killing everybody. He thinks, we're done. Everybody's dying. By November, gone. No more plague. Like, gone. So, Armistice Day is November 11th, 1918. That's the end of World War II. Mm -hmm. The October before, the Spanish flu is killing everybody. World War I. World War One, excuse me. The Spanish flu is killing everyone. By November 11th, it's basically gone. A third wave comes in from January 1919, and it ends in the spring. April 3rd, 1919, you have the Versailles Peace Conference. Mm-hmm. Woodrow Wilson is at the April 30th, 1919, for he's the president. They're deciding what to do with Germany and all the other countries that were in the war. Mm-hmm. His... Um, secretary, his male secretary, has just died from the flu. While he's there, he collapses from the flu. And they believe that this is why he made such disastrous decisions during that conference. and Because that conference and that treaty is a direct result of why World War II happened. Mm-hmm. So they think he was sick with the flu and he was delirious he was and he could mind. not make right decisions. So after 1918, the flu was around, but the immune systems now could fight it, and it stopped invading the lungs. Like So it was going not just in your lungs. It would get in, mm-hmm. and it would cause, uh, I forgot the word for it, but um, it was some kind of a infection storm. So what would happen is it would get into your lungs, but it would go deep into your lungs. And it would your body would have such a, because you're young and you're healthy, yeah. such a hyperactive reaction to it 
your lungs would fill with fluid and you would die. Oh, God. Uh, it's like a cyto. I have it written down somewhere. Of course, I don't have it with me right now. I think that's why now they go on ECMO. Yeah. Which is a lung bypass machine mm-hmm. because they're going, it's usually young people mm-hmm. who are battling the flu end mm-hmm. up on ECMO and I think it's because they're having a hyperreaction to it infecting their lungs. Okay. So part of the reason it, it had settled down is because it wasn't going as deep in the lungs. People are building up an immune mm-hmm. to it. So as I said, in total, 675,000 Americans died, more than the combined total of all the wars in the 20th century. It's second to the Black Plague. Again, those numbers are off because right. Tonga, 8% of the population died. New Zealand, 8,500 deaths. Ireland, 10% of the population dies. Savannah, Chatham County, Georgia, 6,500 6, deaths out of 83,000 people. 12,000 in Australia. Overall, 50 to 100 million people died from That's the flu. Crazy. So during the epidemic, they're trying to come up with a vaccine, but they think it's a bacteria because in 1918, the microscopes are not strong enough to see viruses. Mm-hmm. They can only see bacteria. Mm-hmm. So they came up with a vaccine, didn't do shit. Right. So um, in 1935, close to 15 years later, Frank McFarland, Burnett, and Wilson Smith separately discovered that you can grow the influenza virus on eggs. By 1938, Thomas Francis Jr. with Jonas Salk administers the vaccine to the United States military. Mm -hmm. So the first people in the United States to get a flu vaccine for the very first time is the U.S. military. Mm -hmm. Now we're vaccinating people. In 1968, the Hong Kong or Asian flu creates another global pandemic with huge mortality rate. Mm -hmm. 1997, another avian flu creates a pandemic. Mm -hmm. 2009 flu season, H1N1, which is the same flu that hit in 1918, had more than 200,000 deaths in the first 12 months of its circulation. Mm-hmm. 200,000 deaths in from the 2000. flu. That was not, that was 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, it's no joke. And in 2018, 80,000 people died from the flu with more than 48.8 million people getting sick. The highest since the 2009 pandemic. Mm-hmm. Which is why you get your goddamn flu shot. Yeah. Now, I have a girlfriend who works for Lloyd's office, and she's like, I don't get the flu shot because you can get Gillian Barre, you can get this. Yes, you can. Yeah. But if you don't get it, you can die. Yeah. You can recover from Gillian Barre. Mm-hmm. You can recover from a nerve damage. Mm-hmm. You're not going to recover if you die. No. And we see people come in Healthy. every year. Yep. Young. Healthy. Young college kids mm-hmm. coming in, putting on hot lung machines, and not coming back out. No. From the flu. From the flu. It sounds stupid. Because everyone says, oh, I have the flu. A, you don't actually have the flu normally when you're saying you have the flu. Um, But B, these people are young, healthy, active. They didn't feel good for a couple days, and they are Mm -hmm. literally dead. Dead. A few days later. I've, You know, we do those uh, DCDs, Mm -hmm. which is um, you donate your organs after your heart stopped. I've done a couple, and they've been flu people. Mm -hmm. And it shocks me every time. And what I want to, I you know, I really want to do this podcast, this particular episode, trying to be really unbiased, but yeah. I want to strangle people when they're like, I'm not going to get the flu shot. And I'm like, oh, it made me sick. I'm like, that didn't That's make you sick. sick. No. All right? I'll show you sick. That yeah. didn't make you sick. You yeah. weren't on ECMO. No. Get your goddamn flu shot. I want to strangle people. Yeah. And I can't even get into the people who are like, well, I'm not vaccinating because it causes autism, which is it, a flat out lie. Yeah. A flat out lie. Mm. Cute. So you'd rather your kid die or be blind 
or sterile or, or crippled a, right. than have autism? Really? Okay. And it's not going to give them autism anyways. But no. I digress. I mean, well, I'm going to be an anti-seatbelter and an anti-parachute <laughs> person because who <laughs> believes in that? Parachutes don't save people. Seatbelts don't save people. It pisses me off. I, I can't know. even say how much it pisses me off. All you right. stayed real neutral. <laughs> I can't. I had to get it out there. Feel free to email me. We can go toe-to-toe on this. All right? This is the only episode because I just... We we literally see it in my son. Like I've said on a million episodes now, I feel like they don't believe me. They think I'm just making this up because everything I say, I'm like, I see this. They're like, there's no way you see all this. No, we do. Every year, every year, I'm like, this is why you get a flu shot. Yes. Because these people were as healthy as I am and they are now dead right. from the flu. Like right. it's ridiculous. Right. Get it. Please. And just measles. It's not just a simple childhood disease. No. Measles blind you. Measles yeah. deafen you. Measles yeah. sterilize you. Yeah. Chickenpox can deafen you. You can get encephalitis. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could go on and on with all these different... They they maim you. Right. There's a reason we are vaccinating against them. Right. And it's not like people just make a vaccine for every single thing that ever comes. It's right. things that have killed or maimed right. tons of... Of, and you it know has what? to have had serious side effects to go through all that to right. make a vaccine. And you can always look at They have to have them before we go to school. You can spread them out. You don't have to have 15 vaccines at one office visit. They'll spread them out for you. Right. They'll work with you. Mm-hmm. Get your kids vaccinated. And it's not even your kids. It's, it's the kids who can't, who yes. are sick, yes. who then your kids are going to carry. And you know what? Right. Your kids might not get very sick from it. They might just carry it. They might get right. a little, little fever for a couple of days. There's other kids who will die. Can you when they live get it. with killing the newborn baby who right. hasn't had their vaccines yet right. and now has measles because your kid didn't get vaccinated? Right. Can you live with that? I know. Because I couldn't. No. I could never forgive myself. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm down. I'm off my soapbox. I'm putting it away. Neutral. Very neutral. Yeah, that was real neutral. We have no opinion either way. <laughs> <laughs> can't imagine how you feel. All right. I'm just, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't be quiet about this one. No. Um, okay. <laughs> you lasted. Almost a whole episode. You know know what? I think that's pretty good for me. I do. All right? I really went far with that. Um, And I won't get political ever again, but vaccines are a sore spot because I just, you're hurting other people. Vaccines aren't even political. It's just... I can't even believe people think. (laughs) I just can't even. I can't can't even believe people think it's like, I'm not going to do that. I I just, I can't even believe people that crosses somebody's head. Mm -hmm. And you know what? The people saying this have been vaccinated. Right. You were so vaccinated. you're not going to get sick, but you're going to let your kid die. You're like, no. I don't. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So on that note, <laughs> I think this episode is coming to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what we're doing next, but we're doing something good. Oh, I know what we're doing next. You know what we're doing what next. We're doing next. You're going to like the next episode. Nice surprise. Yep. Yep. Um, so again, send us stories in. We'd love to hear them. Please. We would love to hear them. And if you have a very strong opinion about what we had to say on this episode, we'd love to hear that too. Yeah, we'll take like, it on. Yeah, we're fine with it. <laughs> All right, ladies and gents, have a great night. And uh, we will see you in the fall. Mm-hmm. Get your flu shot. <laughs> like, subscribe, rate, and review the Scissors and Scrubs podcast on whatever podcast app you listen to us on. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Scissors and Scrubs. And email us any of your stories or thoughts to scissorsandscrubs at gmail.com.